Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 15. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 18 today. How well do you keep your promises? When your child asks you to go out and play catch, and you say, we'll do it in an hour, and then he comes to you in an hour, do you blow it off? How about you grandparents? Is your word your bond with your grandchildren? I remember years ago, my grandfather would come to visit from New Smyrna, Florida, down to North Palm Beach, and we had an unspoken, he had an unspoken promise with me. Every time he would visit, he would take me to the little store, which was about two miles away, and it was an old country store where he'd take me to buy a Coke and some candy. And he'd do that every time he came. It was an unspoken promise and in which I remember it to this day. He kept his promise. How about you college students here this morning? There's some here. Um, when you promise to go home on the weekend to be with your family and then somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I got tickets to the football game or I got tickets to this. Do you blow off your family plans for the weekend. You see, we as human beings struggle to keep our promises, don't we? But we as Christians need to reflect the one who keeps his promises with us every day, whose word never fails. Um, He is the one who should be called the promise keeper. And this is the way that we find certainty in our relationship with God. Look at Genesis 15. We'll look at verses 1 through 8. And this is the word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Look back at verse 6. Look back at verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is probably one of the greatest verses 
in the entire Bible. Because it talks about justification by grace through faith all the way back 4,000 years in history. I mean, think about that. Genesis 15, God is talking about justification by grace, and he's talking about it to Abraham. Now, most Jews would look at Abraham as a father of the faith. They would think of him as, you know, right up there with Moses, right? And they would look at this verse and they would say, Abraham wasn't saved by faith. He was saved by his faithfulness. He was saved because of his obedience. He was saved because of his devotion to God. But that's not what this verse is saying, is it? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this, about Abraham. He says this in Romans 4.13. He says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be an heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace. And listen to this part. So that the promise may be, listen to this, guaranteed, guaranteed to all descendants. Not only to those who are of the law, the Jew, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, the Gentiles, us. Notice that this verse says, certainty comes to Abraham's descendants when the promise of God is grasped by faith. And notice that it's not the strength of the faith that saves the person, but it's the object of the faith, which is God and God's promise. That is saying that faith is the channel of salvation, but not the grounds of it. Let me, let me explain this in another way. Let's say you're in a swimming pool, and it's 20 feet deep, and you're in the middle of this swimming pool. It's an Olympic-sized swimming pool. You're in the middle. You get cramps in both legs, okay? And you're going down. You're going to drown. And you're getting ready to go under. The water's about up to your nose. And, and you're putting out your hand and you're yelling for the last grasp. You're saying, help! Right? And then as you go under, you see the lifeguard stand up on his stand and look towards you. And then start to go like this. And as you go under, you have great faith with your last gasping breath that you're going to be saved because the lifeguard saw you, right? Right? But what if it's the first day for this lifeguard on duty? That's one problem, right? But it's not a bad problem. But what if the lifeguard lied on his swimming test? And it wasn't even a swimming test, it was a written test. And he doesn't know how to swim. Now that's a problem, right? Um, do you see what, it, what I'm saying here is? It doesn't matter how strong your faith is. 
It's the object of your faith. And if your object of your faith is a lifeguard that doesn't know how to swim, you're going to drown. Abraham believed God. He believed in God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. What did Abraham believe? You know, all the way back in Genesis 15, what did he believe? Well, Galatians 3.8 says this. The Apostle Paul says this. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentile by faith, listen to this, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So it says here, Paul says, that the gospel was preached all the way back to Abraham in his day. And it was preached to tell him that the nations would be blessed in him. In fact, Galatians 3.16 says that blessing would come through his seed, his descendant, which was, of course, Christ. The blessings to the nations was the cross of Christ and the gospel going forth to the nations. What Galatians is saying is that Abraham looked forward to Christ's day just as we look back by faith to the cross. John 8.56 agrees with that. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. What we see from this passage is that Abraham had some understanding of the gospel. Now, we know he didn't have an understanding like we do, but he had an understanding that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, that there would be a Messiah. Now, how was, look at this passage, how was Abraham rewarded for his faith? How was he rewarded for his faith? He was reckoned, it says, as righteous. He was reckoned as righteous. And I, I love this term, reckoned. It's an accounting term. You like that term, right, Susie? It's an accounting term. And accounting is a very accurate science. In fact, if you're a good accountant, you um, are accurate to the very last penny. I'm not a good accountant. But uh, you're, you're good down to the very last penny. And think of God as the perfect spiritual accountant. And I love that Brett put on there, um, the, the hymn, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> Nothing can satisfy the holiness of God. Nothing can satisfy the holiness of God except an accountant that is perfect, that can account for sin perfectly. And that's what God did for Abraham. He took every sin of Abraham's life, past, present, and future, and put it to Christ's account. And that's what it's talking about here. And then took the righteousness of Christ and put it to Abraham's account. And what's amazing is we're talking about Genesis 15 here. And God's justice, his holiness, could only be satisfied with that. Isn't that great? That's the grace of our God. Well, let's look further at this passage. Look at verse 7 and 8. 
It says, it says here, the page turned on me here. It said, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you a land to possess it. I want you to notice something there. He said, I'm God, and I took you out of Ur. Abraham didn't sit there one day and say, you know what? I'm going to stop worshiping all my idols, and I'm going to go to Canaan, and I'm going to worship this God called Yahweh. He, he didn't do that. Notice, notice what the verse says. It says, I'm the one who brought you out of Ur. I brought you out of Ur. And he did it by grace. He did it by grace. Abraham was an idol worshiper. He was in Ur worshiping idols, and God had to pull him out by his grace and his mercy. And then what does he do? Well, Abraham asks this question. He says, he says, oh Lord, how may I know? How may I know that I'm going to possess this? How, how can I be certain? Now, now this isn't a question of doubt. We've seen questions of doubt in the Bible. We've seen uh, John the Baptist's dad ask a question of God. He, you know, he asked, um, he asked a question, how can I be sure of this? That he, that he was going to have John the Baptist as a son? And the angel of the Lord struck him done for his unbelief. But this isn't a question of unbelief. He's saying, how can I understand this more, God? Help me to understand this. And God does. You know, God loves to strengthen the faith of his people. He loves to strengthen our faith. He loves to give us certainty that the promises concerning us are true. Listen to what 1 John 5.13 says. It says, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, listen to this, know for certain, know that you have eternal life. John 5.24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into condemnation but passes from death to life. God wants us to have certainty in our relationship with him. Put your fingers here in Genesis 15 and go to John chapter 20. And we'll look at another person that's very familiar with us. It's Thomas. And you remember the story of Thomas in, in John 20. Um, the disciples are all gathered together in an inner room right after the death of Christ, and they're all nervous. They're, they're fearful that they're going to be arrested. They're going to be killed just like Jesus was. Now, you can imagine what was going on in their minds after Jesus died. What would you be thinking? Three years we followed him, and now he's gone. It's over. It's over. You know, what we did... We wasted our time. Those could have been some of the thoughts going through their minds, right? One, grief. Two, they loved Christ and he's dead now. Uh, he talked about resurrection. Where is he, right? And then all of a sudden, verse 19, 
Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. I can imagine. Wow. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine the excitement of thinking he's dead, gone, three years wasted, and then all of a sudden he appears? And it's like, it's on again. Christianity's true. I, I think of an old song, Don Francisco. You probably remember this. Um, it's, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. I can imagine them singing that right at that point. He's alive. And we're going to live now for all eternity. But guess what? Thomas wasn't there, was he? Thomas missed out. Look at verse 24. Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples, you can imagine how pumped up they were, were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hand the imprints of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Wow, pretty obstinate, right? After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the door having been shut, and having stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, <laughs> and what's amazing is, he's telling him to do what he said, and he wasn't there, or was he, right? Reach here with your finger. See my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving. Do not be continually unbelieving, but be continually believing. Then Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. He worshipped him. He worshipped Christ as God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed Blessed are they who do not see and, and yet believed. This is talking about us. One day believing without seeing, without feeling, without emotion. We will believe because of God's word. And I know the tense in there is weird, but it's talking about us. One day believing without seeing. And that's what he's saying is the stronger faith, is believing on God's word without, without standing on your feelings or without standing on what you see, but what God says. And that's what God is saying to Thomas, and that's what God is saying to Abraham in Genesis 15. So how does God strengthen Abraham's faith in Genesis 15. How does he answer the question, how will I know for certain? Well, look at verse 9 through 11. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two, and he laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcass, 
and Abraham drove them away. What does God do here? He makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant. He condescends to Abraham by making a covenant with them. He loves Abraham so much that he comes down on his level. And it's like, it's like one of us getting down on our knees to talk to our two-year-old to help them, help them to understand what we are saying. God does that with Abraham just as Christ did that with us in the incarnation. He came and he was like us so that he could allow us to understand God more clearly. He did that out of love for you and for me. So what is a covenant? I mean, our church is named after that, right? What is a covenant? Well, it's a contract or a promise. Where It's a contract where promises are given, stipulations need to be met, blessings for keeping the covenant, curses for not keeping the covenant, and it's sealed in blood. It's sealed in blood. That's why in the Old Testament it says, cut a covenant. Cut a covenant, because it's sealed in blood. In Abraham's day, when a contract or a covenant was made between two parties, they would cut up the animals and the two parties would walk between the animals. And it signified that if one of the parties broke the contract, they were to die like one of the animals died. So you can imagine there weren't many contracts broken in those days, right? It's pretty, pretty tough consequences for breaking a contract. Well, did Abraham, did God keep his promise with Abraham? Well, look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. It says this, to your descendants, I have given this land. Notice the present tense there. He, had the land been given to Abraham at this point? No. But God says it in such a way that Abraham at that point had already, in a sense, been given the land. And the promise was so sure that 430 years later, when the people of God were in Egypt, they should have realized that God would keep his promise to Abraham. Did they believe that? Well, turn with me to Exodus chapter 6, just a little bit to the right. Exodus chapter 6, and let's see how they took God's promise. Look at verses 2 through 9. I'm going to emphasize this a little bit to show you something about this passage. Exodus 6, verses 2 through 9. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they sojourn. Furthermore, I've heard the groanings of the sons of Israel, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, 
I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptian, and I will deliver you from their bondage, and I also will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgment. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. You see the emphasis there? Wow. So Moses spoke thus. He said all that. He said all that to the sons of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses on account of what? Their despondency and cruel bondage. Because of their feelings. Because of what they were going through. Because of their circumstances. They didn't listen to the promise of God. They didn't stand on God's word. They didn't stand on God's word. But guess what? Was God still faithful to his promise? Yeah, yeah. Look back at Genesis 15. You know, they should have realized, the people in Egypt should have realized that no nation, no king, no army, no spiritual force could ever thwart the promise of God that he made to Abraham. They should have realized that no matter what circumstance they face, God would keep his his promises because he is the Lord over all circumstances. How could the covenant be sure? You know, what happened if Abraham failed? He did fail, didn't he? Look at Genesis 16. He failed. He tried to fulfill the covenant through Ishmael. What happens if he failed in his faithfulness? He did. Genesis 16 with Ishmael. But did God keep his promise? Look at verses 12 through 18. Look at verses 12 through 18. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years, but I will also judge the nations whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I have given this land. Do you see what happens here? Two symbols appear for God. For God. A smoking furnace and a torch. 
And the smoking furnace represents God purifying his people. Malachi 3.3 says this, that God will purify the Levites and refine them like gold. God refines his people until he can see himself in them. And he does that with us too. God is also seen as a torch. He's also seen as a light to the nations. John 8.12 says this, about Jesus. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. But I want you to notice one important thing in verse 17. God passes through the animals alone. Abraham was not allowed to participate. When God came to confirm this covenant with Abraham, he confirmed it by himself while Abraham said and did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. And that's why the promise is sure. Because it doesn't depend on Abraham doesn't depend on him at all. It depends on God who is faithful. So what does that matter to us? God did the same thing for us, didn't he? With the covenant of grace. We were all once covenant breakers. We didn't deserve any of the blessings of the covenant, but we deserved all the curses Just like in Genesis 15, we should have been just like the animals, cut in two. We should have died, right? But Jesus took our place. He received the curses of the covenant by hanging on a tree for us. He was crushed for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. And not only are the curses removed of the covenant— from us, but we receive all the blessings of the covenant because of Christ, because he kept the law perfectly for us in our place. We were justified by grace through faith in a Savior who, in a sense, walked through the animals alone. We had nothing to do with it, and we never will. Our salvation begins in faith and ends in faith, just like Romans says. Thanks be to a God who keeps his promises for all eternity. In closing, it was January 2nd of 2004, and Denise and I were sitting in a cafeteria at Greenville Memorial Hospital. And we'd been at this hospital for about three hours since 7.30 in the morning. And we were waiting for Emily's birth mother to sign over custody. And the certainty that we started with that morning at 7.30 was being diminished rather quickly after sitting there for three hours. 
we began to be a little bit concerned. The birth mother was saying that she was waiting for the whole family to come to see Emily before she signed the papers. But we were beginning to wonder if she was having doubts. Well, a few minutes later, after 10.30, our lawyer walked across the cafeteria. I'll never forget it. Um, She put her thumbs up, big smile on her face, and she said, Emily's ours. The, the papers had been signed. What gave me certainty at that moment? It, it wasn't the birth mother's commitment. It wasn't my emotions at the time. It, it wasn't the circumstances that we were under. None of those gave me certainty. You know what gave me certainty at that moment? It was something greater outside of me. Something greater than myself. It was the state of South Carolina that they would keep a promise that was enforced with a document signed. But you know what? I shouldn't have been certain at that moment, should I have? Because states sometimes fail at keeping their promises, don't they? We all know that. Nations have fallen short in keeping treaties. Kings have failed in keeping their word. There is only one who will never fail at keeping his promises. This is where certainty comes from in our relationship with God. Romans 10.11 says this, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, which is sure which is true. It's something that we can stand on. It's something that we can base the eternity of our souls over. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you that we can trust you with everything. Lord, help us to respond to your promises, to your faithfulness by faithfully loving you and putting you first in everything that we do. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.